0: podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, AntiochCOS.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and grab them. And let's go to the book of Psalms. We are wrapping up our series on the Psalms this morning, which we were supposed to do last week, and then God gave us a really, really magnificent surprise, and we just followed his leading last week and had a, an extended time of worshiping him and being together in his presence on our faces. It was, it was spectacular. It really was. And this morning, I felt the, war, the Lord gave me um, a word for some of you, and I wanted to just share that very quickly before we jumped into the scriptures, and that is that the Lord is answering some dangerous prayers. So, so just be careful, just be careful. When you start saying stuff like, um, Lord, break new ground in me, guys, that's a dangerous prayer. A, that's a dangerous prayer, because you know what he'll do? He'll go, thank you very much. I've been waiting for that. I've been waiting for a while to break some new ground in you, and you just sang it, and you just prayed it, so now I have permission to break new ground in you. And uh, it occurred to me, I really think this is this is from the Lord for somebody, if not for a lot of us this morning, but there are some of us that are facing some things that I think that we've been pawning on the enemy, and it's not the enemy, it's God answering dangerous prayers. You've been praying some things like, Lord, I submit, Lord, I trust you, Lord, give me more of you, Lord, break new ground in me, Lord, make new wine out of me. And then all of a sudden, the squeeze starts coming and we start rebuking the devil. (laughs) God's saying, the devil ain't in that. I'm answering a dangerous prayer. You asked for me to dig something deeper inside of you. You asked for me to take you to another level. You asked for me to expand your influence. You asked for me to give you a voice. You asked for me to birth a ministry inside of you. And so this is part of that. I'm showing you things that are inside of you that we need to deal with in order for infrastructure to be built in your life. In order to give you a greater um, span of influence. And so embrace that. Embrace that. Right? And say, yes, Lord. Okay. Okay. Um, the squeeze came on and I saw some ugly stuff come out of me and I'm not going to blame it on the devil. I'm going to say, Lord, show me <laughs> and heal me and restore me and correct me and, uh, and break new ground inside of me. Amen. Um, I love that little line there. We need a greater grace to trust you more. I don't, I don't think in all the years that I have sang that song, tis so sweet, to trust in Jesus. That line, oh for grace, to trust you more. Oh, for grace. You know, some of us are being positioned to go into deeper spaces with the Lord, and that requires a greater grace. That requires a greater grace. And so ask the Lord, and I I believe you are. I believe a lot of us. How many of you in the past several weeks, you've just filled some of the squeeze on in new ways and you're going like what is this what 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 in the, what is this right well i think the, i think the lord is in this and i want to encourage you and uh, and there is a greater grace to trust him more there is a greater grace to discover him and and to see what he is up to and to participate with him in what he is building in your life for the sake of the world around you so can i pray for you this morning before we jump into psalm 146 Father, thank you for grace to trust you more, and thank you that you are a God who hears everything that we say, and uh, Lord, you don't trick us, you are so good, you're so faithful, but you, you, you do work with us to get to a place where we can say, God, yes, yes, I submit to you, yes, I give you permission, yes, Lord, take me into a deeper territory in you, and, and then you go to work. And Father, today help us to see that even when it's painful, help us to see even when it's difficult, so challenging that you are at work inside of us. This morning we prayed in our time of pre-service prayer for hearts to be healed and we prayed that there would be literally a river of God's spirit that would flow through this house today. And that it would go into the deepest spaces and places of our hearts, our minds, our imagination, our memories, our emotions, even into our physical bodies where our physical bodies have been keeping score with the resentment and the offense and the betrayal and the disappointment inside of us. And we are praying today that a river of God's spirit would flow into every space of this house and into every space of our lives, our marriages, our current marriages, our past marriages. Father, just let your river flow in us today. Let it resurrect things inside of us that have died. Let new life enter into us today. Let new life enter into our imagination Father, we just kept saying this over and over again in pre-service prayer. We're praying that hope would be rooted in our soul. And so, Father, we pray for the seeds of hope to take root in us today. Let the seeds of hope take root in us today. Reform our imagination to come into alignment with the hope of God. Heal us and restore us. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, I hope that word encourages somebody. Turn with me of your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Psalm 146, Psalm 146, and we're gonna close out our series on the Psalms. Um, This has been particularly a very good series for me personally. Uh, I've read the Psalms my entire life, but I've just have seen them in a different way. Um, Theologically, I have seen them in a different way personally, and just marinating in the Psalms has um, tenderized me. It has given incredible perspective. It has helped frame some of my previous experiences. It is helping to frame some of my current experiences. And I'm pretty amazed at how difficult a life and how difficult a time uh, the psalmists, David and Asaph, some of these are Solomon, Moses, sons of Korah, but they're not holding back the challenges of life in God and a lot of relational pain a lot of running from their enemies a lot of betrayals a lot of disappointments and they are so vocal with those things and i recall the first message that jonathan preached it's it's learning how to take those conversations and direct them upward and the psalms is all about it's not that we can't feel these things Real faith in God, authentic faith in God is not about squelching, it's not about over-spiritualizing, it's not about ignoring or evading, it's about doing the hard work, really. And it takes hard work to articulate what it is now that's happening on the inside of me. It takes a real self-awareness to articulate, God, I am very, very disappointed by this, I'm disappointed with you. I'm disappointed with how this works out or how it has worked out. And then to put language to that and then direct that right back to God. And there is something that is sacramental, something spiritual, something where God is literally breathing in that space where we can wrestle to find language to say, God, I don't understand this. And I'm I'm really, really having a hard time with it. And I'm here to tell you, God is right there in the middle of that. He is engaging in those kind of conversations with us and they are shaping our faith. They're strengthening our faith. They're revealing more depths of who he is. And it really is such a critical part of the Christian life. So um, obviously with 150 Psalms and 52 Sundays out of the year, we're not gonna hit all of them. We did the best that we could to uh, try to categorize different types of Psalms royal psalms, psalms of lament, psalms of praise and doxology, Um, but our hope is that we would learn how to um, develop a richer and more authentic and more intimate life with Jesus and allow the psalms to help us towards that end. Uh, One of the things that has been very eye-opening for me as I've just been reading through the psalms more is is how, how much God cares about people, and how much God cares particularly about people that I think that it 's easy for us to um, to not have in our radar and so I want to talk with you a little bit this morning about that psalm one forty six and i 'm reading out of the new the new revised standard version, but uh, I'm going to read out of both versions today, uh, the NIV and the NRSV, and for those of you who are carrying any other translation, please do not be offended that I'm not reading every other version uh, in, in, in the world, okay? <laughs> all right, Psalm 146, here we go, verse one, praise the Lord, praise, praise the Lord, O my soul, I will praise the Lord as long as I live, I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. The God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them the God who keeps faith forever. What a great phrase. The God who keeps faith or the God who is faithful forever. That's our God. That's the God we, we serve. Verse seven, and here we take a little bit of a turn just so you guys can, check, can catch this. It begins to describe um, who the Lord demonstrates his faithfulness towards. He is the God who executes justice for the oppressed he is the god who gives food to the hungry he is the lord who sets the prisoner free he is the lord who opens the eyes of the blind he is the lord who lifts up those who are bowed low he is the lord who loves the righteous he is the lord who watches over the stranger he is the lord who upholds The orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to read this again. I'm going to read it in the NIV. And I I really was tempted to read this in multiple translations. Um, Number one, to show us what it's like as a spiritual discipline to read the scriptures slowly. There's a phrase called Lectio Divina and it just simply means to read the scripture slowly and prayerfully. And I encourage you, Antioch, to do that. When you're reading the Bible, don't just, don't just breeze through that. Don't race through it. I, I would actually admonish and encourage you to read less, but to read it more slowly and more deeply. The goal is not, The goal is not to read the Bible in a year. That's not the goal. <laughs> the goal is to know God And to connect with the heart of Jesus and to be transformed in and through the word. And if that means I'm living in one verse for weeks, so be it, because that's the point, right? The Pharisees were people that were like, hey, let's just, let's, let's memorize this, let's get through it. And Jesus says, you're in error because you think that you know the scriptures and everything that the scriptures is pointing to is right here in front of you and you've missed it. All right, so let's let's read Psalm 146. Mark if we could. We're going to read this out of the NIV. And you can look at the screen there with me if you would. Bear with me as I find this. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes. Think about that. Like when the Bible says, don't put your trust in princes. Now, we don't have princes in America. What is that referring to? What could that be referring to? Think about that. Could the Bible be saying, hey, you know, next year is an election year. How many of us put our trust like the trust that is devoted solely to King Jesus. How many of us are putting that in a political party, right? How many of us are just putting that in an individual? How, much, how many of us are putting that in, you know, a particular president, the president of our choice? I think that's part of what the psalmist is saying here. Don't put your trust in princes. It's not that we cannot be engaged faithfully, it's not that there's no role for Christianity and government to have some kind of conversation. But I think what, what the psalmist is getting here is that deep in the core of our being, in the core of our faith, do we have more trust in an American system of government than we do in the sovereignty of God? We've got to think about that. Because honestly, we have to evaluate the things that are coming out of us, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or the conversations we have. Why are they so volatile? Why are they so volatile? Why is it that we cannot hear our neighbor who calls him or herself brother or sister in God? Why is it Why is it that we act that way? I'm curious if there's, there's a fear and anxiety. There's a fear and anxiety in, in the way that we have come to enjoy life. Guys, I want you to know if if we don't get anything else as we learn how to live in and examine the scriptures, and there's a reason why the Old Testament is so powerful and important for us. The Old Testament is the journey of an exiled people. And where will our faith be? Where will our faith be if for some reason, some day we end up being an exiled people? Will we still remain faithful to Jesus? Will our primary allegiance be to the kingdom of God and not to the kingdom of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party? I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. Do not put your trust in princes. We can put our trust in employers. You were supposed to take care of me, you were supposed to provide for me, you were supposed to promote me. We can put our trust in a spouse. You were supposed to fulfill me. You were supposed to save me out of the things that I grew up in and grew up out of. You were supposed to complete me. Sorry, Jerry Maguire, no one completes you but God, okay? But we do that. We put our trust in mortals. We put our trust in our children. I raised you better than this. You should know better. You were supposed to fulfill all the things that I didn't fulfill in my life, right? And we put our trust in that. We put our stock in that. We put our hope in that. Somehow, if we're not careful, we begin to associate a part of our value and our identity in our children. How valuable, how, like literally my identity as a follower of God, my identity as a good human being, my identity as a great parent is, is like locked up in the behavior of five and 15 year olds, Right? <laughs> Do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in mere mortals. And why is that? Psalm tells us very, very clearly in verse three, they cannot save. Yes. They cannot save. The NRSV says they cannot deliver you. This is salvation language. It's salvation language that the Old Testament and particularly the Psalms uses quite a bit, but humanity cannot save you either physically or spiritually, but primarily spiritually, humanity, human beings, human systems, your education. Guys, there are a lot of educated people who have some of the highest degrees in the country and those degrees will not save them out of their sin, out of their shame. It will not remove guilt. It will not turn an orphan into a son or a daughter. Human education systems cannot save us, cannot save us. Human systems of government cannot save us. Businesses cannot save us, no matter how they seem to be flourishing. There will always be cycles of downturn, you guys. They cannot save us. Your family system cannot save you. Mere mortals cannot deliver. Verse four, for when their spirit departs, the implication here is every single human system and every single human being will depart it's part of the limits that god has built into humanity and he built that the limits of finiteness he's built the limits of death into humanity the limits of 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 our humanity are built into us for a reason to remind us that we are not god and that he is he is the only one that controls the destiny of nations He is the only one that can bring true shalom, true peace into the deepest parts of our lives individually, of our family units, of our churches, communities, nations, and and so on and so forth generationally. Verse five, blessed is he or she whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. My hope today is number one, that we would do some serious evaluation on where we've placed our hope. Let's do some serious evaluation on where we've placed our hope. Guys, I, I, I want you to know that um, legislatively, I think it's right, and I think it's good, and I think there's, there's healthy elements of it because the scriptures are, are very clear that when the righteous are in leadership, the people prosper, the people rejoice Scriptures say in Proverbs that when the wicked lead, that the people go into hiding. Why? Because, because wicked governments and wicked leadership and, and wicked systems are ran by fear and control. So I, I, I believe, but a law is not where I place my trust, no matter how good and right and just those laws might be. Our hope for the future is in the faithfulness of God. Our hope in the future is on the reliability of the scriptures and on the reliability of the gospel, the power of the gospel that is at work to change the human soul. I mean, the issues that we're dealing with today, whether it be immigration or race or whether it be equality for women, whatever it is, whatever the issue is today, uh, laws are not going to transform those issues. There There will still be young people that get pregnant if we have laws that say that we cannot commit abortions, there will still be young people that get pregnant. There will still be people that are afraid of what to do and not, not knowing what to do with that baby inside of them and feel like the only thing that they can do is to end the life of that child. That will still be a reality. So while I think that there is some, some good in that, the greatest good is in learning how to put our trust in God. And allow the power of the gospel, like bringing people, bringing that young man, bringing that young lady into faith in Christ, bringing them into a saving relationship where they're putting their trust in God. Yes, this is gonna be difficult. Yes, there are consequences for your action. Yes, yes, you're gonna to have to stay up late at night and change diapers now, but put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. He's gonna walk you through it. He's gonna get you through this. You can make this, put your trust in God. Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. Let's just keep reading through this. Verse, uh, verse six, he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. We're not talking about an arbitrary deity out there. We're talking about the one who created everything. The powerful one, the creative one, the one who saw the end from the beginning, the one who has worked out redemptive options for every broken decision. Like, listen to that. He is the one who has worked out a redemptive option for every sinful mistake. He is the one who has worked out a redemptive possibility for every place of brokenness in our story. There is a redemptive out. There is a redemptive option. There is a door that leads to redemptive beauty in every single place of brokenness in your life the world is absolutely ruined by sin it's ruined it's ruined it can it can be so disheartening guys right it can be so disheartening when you look at and when you start to touch When you start to touch, I mean, some of you guys know this way better experientially than I do. Some of you, you know, are engaged in the reality of the brokenness of the foster care system. You're engaged with the brokenness of DHS. You're engaged with the brokenness of, of human beings that are being stolen and sold. I mean, some of you guys, you have touched this, and it can be so disheartening. But I want you to know that somehow, some way, I have to have faith. I have to have hope that there is a redemptive option for every place where sin has stained the world. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of the resurrection. That is the hope that we believe in. Not in princes, not in systems, not in humankind. So let's take a look at who this God is. He is the Lord who remains faithful forever. Can I just speak that over you today? Can I just speak over your life right now? He is the Lord who remains faithful forever. Can I just say over you that it is impossible for him not to be faithful? That it is impossible. That when your situation feels like, God, you've not been faithful, I want you to know he's working behind the scenes. He is at work in your life. He is at work to show himself faithful. In every place of brokenness, in every disappointment, in every dream that you built with another man, with another woman, with your children, with your parents, with your business, and that dream is now no longer a reality. I want you to know that there is redemptive hope because he's faithful. He is faithful. He did not abandon you in that situation. He is still moving and working on your behalf. I choose to believe that. I choose to believe this morning that he is the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds, now look at this, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. I want you, if you would, to identify, and I just wrote these down just because they became so, like they were just shining at me. But I I want us to take a look at several groupings of people. Uh, Number one, Beginning in verse 7, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. So if you're taking notes, just write the oppressed. Because that is a grouping of people that is important to the heart of God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. I I really need a lot of wisdom and discernment as I try to walk into this space. Right? Because... Oh gosh, I don't know how to do that. I'm just gonna hit it straight on, okay? (laughs) Because you know, here's the here's the thing, you guys. I if if we've not touched some level of oppression in our life, if life has been good for us, if life has been safe, if life has been luxurious, if life has given us privilege and opportunity, then we'll either just blow by this or what we'll begin doing is we'll start creating narratives and rhetoric and ideas and arguments that essentially just justify our lives, right? Because, because we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what physical oppression looks like. Now, you know, it's, it's easy for us to just throw scriptures at someone who's been chronically sick for years, and we've not. It's easy. That's easy, right? It's easy. Man, just, just pray a prayer. Just have faith. And yet, we, we're not waking up multiple times a night. We're not... Dehydrated. We're not fatigued. We're not, you, you know, tired in our body. We're not angry with ourselves. We're not uh, able to not perform in our domestic duties or in our professional duties. And yet, so the person who's not oppressed in that way can just say, hey, have faith. Okay. Systemically, if we've never experienced any type of systemic oppression, I, um, I don't want to get too deep in this. But, um, you know, when I went to go buy a house and I went to the, uh, what's that first person you go to buy a house? You guys help me. Yeah, well, you go to the realtor and then, I mean, we just start with the realtor and then you go to the mortgage, what's it called? The mortgage lender? Yeah, the mortgage lender, right? Yeah. I didn't go there and I didn't have, I didn't have realtors going, hey, Jade, I know that you really like that house over on this side, but you can only buy homes in this part of the city. Do you realize that that's reality for some people even still today? Do you realize that in the 50s and 60s and 70s that there were a particular race of people that in our country that wanted to buy homes and that the government had actually legislated that they could only buy homes in red line districts of their city? Yeah. And then when we say things happen like Ferguson, we go, why are, they, why are they just so mean and so mad? Well, you might be a little upset too if you wanted to buy a home somewhere and you felt absolutely powerless to raise your kids where you wanted to raise them, to send them to schools where you wanted to send them. See, if that's not been our story If that's not been our experience, guys, now it's easy for us just to go, are they really oppressed? Come on. Guys, listen, the point of it is this the point of everything, the point of the scriptures is for us to say, though this may not be your experience, though this may not be your belief system, though you may not understand this, will you love me and trust me enough? Will you, will you respond to my invitation to come into a space that is reality for other people and allow my compassion and mercy to change your life, even though this hasn't been your experience? He upholds the cause of the oppressed. If for nothing more, if for nothing more than for us to say, this is important to God and I don't understand it. I mean, do we have enough humility to say that? Do we have enough humility to say, um, you know, to, to literally push away the cultural arguments? Okay, because I'm not, I'm not reading newspapers here. I'm not, I'm not quoting Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or people on the other side. I'm not quoting them. I'm quoting the heart of God that says, those that are oppressed matter to me. Okay, let's just, I mean, let's just keep reading here right? He gives food to the hungry. Now remember, this is the God who remains faithful forever. This is the God who is saying, put your hope in me, not in mortals or princes. Okay? So this, I mean, there's a reason why it starts off. And this is the God who's worthy of praise. The psalmist starts off and says, praise the Lord. He's speaking to the congregation. Praise the Lord. He's speaking to his own soul. And then he goes right into I've, I've, I think that we have put our faith and our trust in human systems and we shouldn't be doing that. We should be putting our, our faith and trust in God. Which God? Which God? This God. The God who upholds the cause of the oppressed. That God. That God. Now, is it possible that we don't know that God? But is it possible that we know an American God but we don't know the God of the scriptures? Right? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just kind of wrestling some of this out right here. Is it possible that we know the God of our religious tradition? Or we know the God of our denomination? Or we know the prophetic God? We know the God of power. We know the God that moves spectacularly, but we don't know the God who upholds the cause of the oppressed. We don't know that God. And they're not two gods. Right? We don't know this part of our God. It's... it's it, it's funny, and I have to, have to catch myself when my kids ask me questions. But they ask me certain questions, and I just, they, but they're in awe. They're like, Dad, you played football? They, I mean, they, they both, this past week, some, you know, Milan turned 12 yesterday. And then so I was sharing some of stories with her about when I was 12 and just engaging in conversation with her. And somehow we got on the topic of sports, and she was like, Well, what sports did you grow up playing? And so I write it off these various sports, and she's like, You played football? And, um, I said, yeah, babe, I played football. And I was almost like, yeah, I played football. What do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about, right? But I'm like, you know, I, I think there's that same reality that happens with us in God, right? God, you you fed the poor? <laughs> he's like, no. And granted, because he's God, he's not going, yeah, I fed the poor. Give me a break, right? <laughs> yes, I care about the oppressed, Right? No, I mean he's gracious and kind with us, but I think there's but we, I think we have to be honest like there is a, there's there's so much of God that we have filtered through our own experience. We've filtered through our own class. Middle class, right? Upper middle class. Maybe even we 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 have filtered through our own oppression and we've only seen God a certain way. Like I'm not just I'm not picking on one group of people here this is for all of us. This is let us let us by the grace of God blow the lens off of who we think God is and say God shape me. I need your help to see who you really are. Okay? He's the God who upholds the cause. And then did did, did anybody ask this question? Anybody ask this question? What is the cause of the oppressed? And I say, "Hey, listen, listen, this don't 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 be ashamed by this, but if we're not stopping and immediately saying, what is the cause of the oppressed? That's telling. That's telling. That's indicative of something. Right? I want to know what the cause of the oppressed is because God is, God's upholding it. And if I'm not upholding the cause of the oppressed, I am not in agreement with God. I'm not walking according to his will. Lord, help us. Teach us to learn what the cause of the oppressed is. Teach us how to really engage deeply and thoughtfully and honestly and humbly with the reality of people that are not like us in the world who are oppressed. Let us not be like The Levite or the priest who saw the person that was robbed and went to the other side. All right, let's keep going on here. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He gives food to the hungry. This is the God who can be trusted. This is the God who is soliciting our hope. He is the God who cares about those that are hungry, spiritually And physically, spiritually and physically, he is the God who gives food to the hungry. We pray this every week. Give us this day our daily bread. God, you're our source. You're our provision. We look to you. We put our trust in you to be our sustenance. We put our trust in you to be our source. Be my source. My job is not my source, okay? You are not my source, Your employer is not your source. Those of you who are business owners, you are not your own source. Your clients and your customers is not your source. He is the God who gives food. He is the God who provides for us. He is the God who makes water come out of rocks. He is the God who brings quail into deserts. He is the God who opens up the heavens. He is the God who can give you what you need. He gives food to the hungry. But let's focus in on that people group known as the hungry who are the hungry in your life who are the neighbors around you that are spiritually destitute they're hungry spiritually who are the people that are that are in your path from the moment you rise to the moment you go to sleep and maybe not on a daily basis but maybe weekly maybe your monthly rhythm maybe maybe if you just stopped and said lord in the circumference of my life who's hungry Here in a few weeks, we're going to be starting a new series about Jesus and money. And last Sunday at our family talk, um, we talked about what it means to be people who give generously. And me personally and Christy personally, we're looking on just a, just a sheer percentage basis and Sidron, you said something today that just, it, 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 it caused some dots to connect, because I think we, we get a little rattled by, you know, numbers and percentages and metrics and 10%, and, you know, and, and, you know God is so good. I think God's so smart, because he's like, let me, let me give you some baseline metrics, that way you're not just basing everything on a, on a week-to-week feeling, Oh, this, week I feel like, this week, I feel like honoring Psalm 146 and caring about the hungry. And this week, I, this week I feel like 2%. And this week, I, you know whatever I have in my pocket, I'm going to... No, God, God said, listen, guys, everything's not about feelings and over-spirituality. Like, I'm going to give you some baseline metrics to help guide your life. And then you can grow beyond that. And so we're looking at our life and we're saying, what, what do we give? What do we give? to those who do not have like we have. How many of you guys served yesterday at COS I Love You City Serve? Anybody here in the house? Let me just see all of you guys who participated with COS I Love You City Serve. Thank you so much for that. Yesterday, my daughter and I had the opportunity to serve at a ministry called Mary's Home that's here in this house. It works in connection with another ministry that one of our family served at called Faith Promise. Yeah, Faith Promise. And these two ministries work in conjunction to take care of the single mother who is essentially homeless. And I didn't know this. Um, and, and again, this is, this is why we do things like this, all right? Because we don't know. Because I've never been a single mom, i never been a single dad. And I didn't know that there are people in our city called hidden homeless. You know what hidden homeless are? The hidden homeless are single moms that have to hide the fact that they're homeless because if DHS finds out that they're homeless, they lose their children. So do you know that there's an entire people group in our city that are couch surfing and they are hanging out in their own cars, and they and they actually they're actually putting themselves in a place where they can't get help because if they show that they need help, the very fact that they're vulnerable and need help will be the very thing that takes your kids away from them. See, we guys, listen, right? We don't know. We don't know. And I think the most dangerous place to be is when we don't know, but we assume that we do know and we make these bold statements of certainty that are they're just arrogant statements and it's not Jesus and it's not Christianity and it's not it's not who we're supposed to be, guys. I'm just calling you to another I'm just calling you higher. And honestly, if you've not if you've not really if you've not read a book about it, if you've not traveled a road with somebody more than more than five or ten conversations. Okay, if you've never sat down and had coffee or went into the home of an immigrant, like all we're doing is we're basing arguments and rhetoric on ideals. Yeah, that's that's, right. Right. that's, that's right. all we're doing. Right. And if you love your ideal more than you love your neighbor, there's something wrong with your Christian faith. Yes. Amen, yes. Yes. Bring that. Bring that if you care more about being right than you care about helping someone who's hurting, that's right. we, gotta, we gotta evaluate our Christian faith we have to evaluate him he is the god who gives food to the hungry so right now in our city you know what I, hey guys listen you know what that that single mom she didn't ask to be abused by her by her drunk husband she didn't ask for that you know what the cause of the oppressed is it's the person who's vulnerable to unjust power The oppressed is the one who is vulnerable to unjust power. I guarantee you that 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 woman did did not stand there and say, I do, and dream about living in her car. She didn't dream about that. She didn't dream about that. Or what about the woman whose husband was unfaithful? And she stayed in the yoke and she prayed, and she fasted, and year after year after year. Okay, th- th- these, these are real lives and real stories, okay? And we, we can take this wherever we need to go, <laughs> from women to people that are wrestling with the brokenness of their sexual identity. And we can sit back and go, oh, it's just so plain. It's not plain. Were you ever molested? It's not just plain. It's not just black and white. It's not just easy. Okay, were you abused? Okay, it's not just plain. Okay, he is the God who gives food to the hungry. He's the one who recognizes where someone is deficient and cares about that need. He cares about that need, their emotional need, their relational need, their spiritual need, their physical need, their social need, their financial need. He's the God who is aware of the needs that we have, and he cares deeply about them. That's who he is. That's who your God is. That's who my God is. Look at this. He is the Lord who sets the prisoner free. He is the Lord. That's who our God is. You know, I, I I just almost wonder if if we just follow that God a little bit more deeply, if the world will be a little bit more sympathetic to the fact that we're Christ followers. Maybe if we just yeah. maybe if we just focused on these realities of who God is more than trying to get our guy into the presidency, or more than trying to get our bill passed. Right? Maybe if we were maybe if we were like, hey, like man, we care about the prisoner. <laughs> we care about the person who's living in oppression. We care about the person who's living in a system of life right now that is perpetuating illiteracy, that is perpetuating self-sabotage, that is perpetuating broken relationships. There's a reason why people act the way they act. And God cares about bringing freedom to people that are in prison. He's the Lord who sets the prisoner free. Maybe that person who keeps, you know, disappointing you and betraying you, maybe they're really just a prisoner and they don't even know it. Maybe they're a prison, prisoner to their own victimization. Maybe they're a prisoner to their own resentment. Maybe they're a prisoner to their own self-hatred. Yes. And he's the God who wants to set the prisoner free. He's a God who wants to forgive debts. He's a God who does not hold our sins against us. And so listen, guys, I listen, I know, I, I know to a degree, to a small degree, I know what it's like to be disappointed, to be let down, to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be unjustly criticized. I know what that feels like, but here, I'm here, I'm here to tell you today, he, he's the God who sets the prisoner free, okay? Which means that God doesn't give us a license to hold anybody prisoner. Set them free. Set them free in your heart. They were wrong. Okay, what they did was wrong. What they did was unjust. What they did was a violation. And God's going to deal with that. But you, you entrust them to the Lord. Let God heal you. Let God restore you. Let God set you free. All right? So that you can go. You were called to be a liberator. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be liberators. Walking in the ministry and the anointing of Jesus. We're going to go there in a minute. Verse 8. The Lord gives sight to the blind. Lord give sight to the blind how many of you guys have ever had moments in your life where Jeff and I were talking just this morning and I've had it seems like several of these conversations over the past couple of weeks Lauren Oscom in the ministry of the nursery this morning she was like "Ah, the emotionally healthy leadership class is so good I wish I had that years ago I was like Lauren you're 25 <laughs> but yes I agree right how many of you guys have had that moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I've lived so long without understanding that I'm a son or a daughter is deeply loved, my value is not in. How many of you guys have had those moments where you're like, oh my God, God cares about people that are not like me because whatever it might be, right? I've, I feel that all the time, but listen, he's the Lord who gives sight to the blind. I'm blind, I'm blind. I am blind, you guys. There are certain things in my life I'm just utterly blind to. I'm blind to them. Remember the story in the scriptures, there was a man by the name of Bartimaeus and he sat in the corner and he heard Jesus coming by and he screamed out, son of David, have mercy on me. Remember that? Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus walking by. And do you remember what all those people were trying to do to Bartimaeus? Yeah, they're trying to shut him up. Hey dude, shut up, man. Dude, I gotta be reverent. You're in a church, you're in a church building. (laughs) Okay, This, this this is like, this is the high Messiah walking by here. And he just, got more, he just got more indignant. He got more undignified. Son of David, have mercy. I mean, the scripture says he screamed all the louder. He shouted all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus comes up and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What's the problem? As, you, as if you can't see. I thought I was the one who was blind here, right? I'm blind. I think Jesus is trying to get us to a place where we can articulate what our need is. I think he's trying to get us to a place to say, Jesus, I am blind. I can't see and guys I promise you you want you want something utterly transformative to your Christian life you wake up on a daily basis and say God there are things I cannot see yes. I have so many blind spots I have so many blinders I have so many prejudices I have so many biases I have so many resentments I have so many places of brokenness in my own life. I have so many arrogant ideals. I have so much Western Americanism in me. I have so much middle-class America in me. I'm blind. I'm just blind, God. And it's not my fault that I'm blind. I'm coming to you and saying, help me because I'm blind. He's the God who gives sight to the blind. He is the God who will bring you understanding. He's the God who will bring you revelation. If you will say, son of David, have mercy on me. I can't see this. I can't see this. Lord, I'm a white male. I'm a white male. I can't see this. I read a book um, several months ago uh, written by a couple of great scholars. called. It's just called Women in Ministry. And I did not know this, and I don't want to get into all the depths of this at, at this venue, but at some point I will. You better believe I will. But guys, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years where God-fearing lovers of Jesus who happened to be female never had opportunities to go to, to go to school. Brilliant leaders, brilliant thinkers, brilliant writers, and because of the fact that they were females, they were denied opportunities to get educated. They were turned down. Okay? I didn't know that. I had no clue. Why? Why? Because I'm blind. And you're blind to something. You're blind to something. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Reminds me of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll inherit the earth. God responds to humility. God sees you in your low estate. He sees you. He sees you in your brokenness. I've resolved a couple of things in my life. I've resolved that if I don't know anything else, if I don't know how to do anything else, Lord, I'm I'm gonna know how to be broken. I'm gonna be really good at that. (laughs) I'm gonna be really good at falling on my face, weeping my guts out and just saying, God, break me. I respond to brokenness. I choose brokenness. I choose the path of brokenness because if I don't know anything else, I know that he's the God who lifts up the lowly. I know that he is the God who is in the trenches with you. I know that he is, he is the God who is not far away from, from your pain when you are lowly. And that could be lowly economically. That could be lowly um, in status. Just, but that could be lowly in your soul as well. God, I'm in, a, I'm in a low state. He's the God who comes down and he lifts the lowly. That's what the incarnation is all about you understand what I just said yeah. that, is, that, is, that is the entire point of the incarnation that he didn't remain distant from us that he came and he became lowly with us and he became one of us so that in our place of lowliness he could lift us up this is the God we serve this is the God who can be trusted because mortals and princes don't do this kind of stuff guys The Lord loves the righteous. Let me just end with this. He is, verse nine, he is the Lord who watches over the alien. He is the Lord who watches over, why does my Bible say alien, yours says foreigner? I like foreigner better, all right? He is the Lord who watches over the foreigner. It's probably really good that I've ran out of time right now. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Like, just for a second, can we just push pause on American exceptionalism? Just push pause. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to get that out of us. Okay, but listen, the Bible was written to foreigners and strangers. We come from a tribe of foreigners and strangers. We come from a f- tribe of, you know, you know what this is like? You guys, you guys see those those movies, you know? Those movies where like you got the, you know, the kid who's a social outcast and then they strike a deal and somehow like they become cool and popular like overnight, right? And then all of a sudden they're hanging out with all the cool and popular kids and then like all the social outcasts that they were running around with, like they were like, whatever, dude, you know, they're totally displacing. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen those, you've heard those narratives. That's us. That's American Christians, those American Christians that are acting like we don't. We don't know. Oh no, we didn't come from a, a line of slaves. No, you come from a line of slaves. Come on, come on, come on. The children of Israel lived in slavery for four hundred years, and that was just the first time. Right. <laughs> okay, our Savior, our Messiah, was an immigrant. Yes. He fled his home. Joseph and Mary were dependent upon the benevolence of people in Egypt. And yet, and yet we go, we don't want to associate with that. Those are the parts of our story that we want to hear. Right? Guys, come on. Can we just stop and just think about this? Because the God that we say that we serve, not the God of America, but the God of the scriptures, okay, the God of the Christian faith that has lasted since the resurrection of Jesus, he's the God who watches over the foreigner and the stranger. He cares. And I'm not saying that this is simple. But what I am saying is, is that we have to push through our inner biases and our political affiliations long enough and deep enough until we become more faithful to the God of the scriptures than to our political ideologies. He's the God who watches over the foreigner and the stranger. And I think honestly, guys, we would do really, really well if we just looked at all those people groups and somehow with our prophetic imagination, we try to just put ourselves in those places. What would it look like if you were on the run? What would it look like if you were on the run? Guys, just, th- th- I, this probably isn't far from our possibility. Can you just go with me for like 30 seconds here? Because if, if, if things shake down, okay, and massive persecution hits, and we end up fleeing to Mexico, And our kids are ripped out of our hands because we're not Mexican citizens. Think, just just stop, just think about that. Somehow put yourself, you're a grandparent and you got your twin babies and you're fleeing for your life and you're hunted down and you're arrested and children are ripped out of your arms. I'm not trying to get into what's right or what wrong right now. I'm just trying to get into get, get yourself into that space. Get yourself into that humanity. Get yourself into that level of humanity. And how would you want to be treated? We're used to being treated rightly. We're used, we expect it. We expect it. You call an airline and you need a change and someone doesn't do what you you expect them to do, you get ticked off. Why? Because you're used to people doing what you ask them to do. What is it like living a life where no one does anything that you expect them to do? Where you're absolutely helpless and powerless. I want you to know that God cares about those people. And if we proclaim to be Christ followers, then we need to care too. And I'm not saying it's gonna happen overnight because it's not This is why foreign missions is good for us. Because yeah. when you go into immigration in Pakistan or any country, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm not impressed. Right. right? You have zero rights. Come on up here, Jonathan. Ministers at the table, would you come forward, please? It took way more time than I should have. God, thank you for Psalm 146. Shape us and form us and change us. Yes. Heal us, God in Psalm 146. Guys, let me just say this. Let me just say this one last statement. Like these are very, very human issues, but humanism is not the answer. Okay? Do you understand what I mean when I say humanism is not the answer? Just being human activists is not the answer here. It is, it is drilling down deeper into the heart and the wisdom of god there is a wisdom in scripture and there is a compassion in the heart of god that will resource us for these very very complex human social tasks okay so the answer here is let's not just go do more good stuff it is god break us convict us heal us shape us change us teach us help us god we we need you God, have mercy Christ have mercy Father forgive us for the things we have done and the things that we have left undone we have not loved you or our neighbor as we should but there is mercy at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and today we come to this table God receiving mercy receiving mercy and Father today I pray that as we receive the gift of your grace in your life oh God I pray today you would transform us by grace, that we would be carriers of life, and we would care about the people that you care about. Antioch, would you stand to your feet with me this morning as we come and we receive generously from the grace of God. Please come and receive from the table of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church sermon of the week. For more information about us, visit antiochcos.com.